Greetings and salutations, everybody. This is Leonard Malton, and you're listening to Malton on Movies. And I have a very special guest today. Every guest we have is special. Some are more special, some are less. They're all special in their own way. We live in the age of positivity, right, and inclusiveness. So every guest is special. I agree with you 100%. Especially the most special guest. Exactly, which I am. So thank you you so much. Which you are. My very special guest today is Paul Shear. Well, I'm so excited to be here, Leonard. This is like a, a real thrill as a fan of yours and this podcast to be able to talk movies with you. Well, well, uh, you you prove your 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 fanship in a way by hiring me. Uh, <laughs> You're responsible for my being here. Paul. Well, that was yeah, very early on in the process when we were talking about different people that we wanted to bring in. We the one thing that we always talked about was the idea of people with passion for whatever it is. If it is about cooking, if it is about playing chess, whatever it is. And, you know, who is one of the most passionate people about film? And, you know, and your name was right there. And that was something that was really fun for us because to think that you would even be interested in doing a podcast was, uh, you know, that was a thrill for us to know that you were. Well, and I've been having a great time. I'm glad. Uh, so thank you. Well, I'm glad to, thank you to very, be very here. very, much. Yeah. All right, now, if you don't know Paul Shear. Yeah, you could Google him. You could Wikipedia <laughs> him, you know. But uh, I'm going to have him recite his credits, and that'll take up the full hour <laughs> of the podcast. Uh, in fact, I'm told the Guinness Book of World Records, having retired <laughs> James Brown from the title since he's no longer with us, yeah. is thinking of putting you in as the world's hardest working <laughs> entertainer. You know, it, the uh, you know the, you were saying that to recite my credits, the one thing, the most embarrassing Thing and not that, that not that this is a bad thing, but it is an embarrassing thing. Was people come up to me and they'll be like, "What do I know you from?" And then and I'm like, "Oh, I just and I always try to say like, oh, I do a bu- I have a bunch of TV stuff and been in a couple movies and stuff." And they go, "Yeah, but what?" And then I'm like, "All right." And then I have to do this dance of what do I think you might know me from? Yeah. So then I throw it out and inevitably, no matter how good I do on my guessing, they always say no, no, yeah. not that. No, not that. And then I'm sitting there for like three <laughs> minutes just listening like, uh, 30 Rock? No. I'm like, oh, I was like, I was on a Today Show? No. <laughs> and then and then inevitably the conversation ends with them going, I don't actually watch TV. I was like, I, I don't know. Then maybe I dated your sister. <laughs> <laughs> I have been there and done that. So I, I, I feel your pain. But, you, you know, you've seen him on The League. You've seen him on Fresh Off the Boat. You've seen him here and there. And if you listen to podcasts, you've undoubtedly – I mean, you can't avoid him. I mean, he's unavoidable. I, well, I know. I, I try to keep busy. I try to get in that uh, that podcast space. And uh, and specifically, movie-wise, yes. you've been doing for a number of years now, How Did This Get Made? Yes, which is a, I would say, I'd argue a companion piece to this kind of a podcast because <laughs> what we do is we look at movies that make you scratch your head and go, how did this get made? Uh, it is, you know, been really fun for us because we've kind of unearthed some gems in the past that are worthy of just discussion. I think the, the way I always kind of treat it is it's the conversation that you would have with your friends after you've walked out of a movie that particularly didn't work, you know? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and so it's not necessarily tinged with negativity as much as it is, wait, what? Wait, and what was going on there? And why did they do that? And one of the movies that we just saw, and I don't even know if you remember this, but do you remember the biopic of the village people called Can't Stop the Music? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. Now, that movie was uh, – it's, ama- it's an amazing movie. It's a big 
musical about the village people, but it's so bizarre. Stu Gutenberg mm-hmm. in a lead role in there. And uh, and I would say and, the only and the, by- and, the, and the great Valerie Perrine. Yeah, Valerie Perrine is awesome. I loved her from Superman mm-hmm. 1 and 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she, the, I was talking to a friend about this, and said like, that movie – the village people are ancillary characters in their own <laughs> biopic. It really is about Steve Gutenberg and Valerie Perrine. Like that's that is. I've never seen a biopic where the person they're focusing on is in the background. They're they're the least interesting, least motivated characters in the entire thing. In fact, I think that film played the Ziegfeld. Oh, in really? New York, uh, which has just shuttered, which, that, is, a, which is a sad, sad uh, piece I of I was news. just in New York, and that was a theater that meant so much to me. I went there to see movies, and, and the important movies. You know, mm-hmm. like I, yeah. I saw the, you know, the prequels to Star Wars. They were very excited to go back mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and, and see it in a, in a big theater. I wish the films held up to the excitement of the theater. But, uh, but there are so many great movie experiences. There was like a real, like— Real movie house. I don't think there's many, like the Egyptian here in Los Angeles. Right, right. And Radio City Music Hall doesn't yes. do movies on a regular basis in New York anymore. But every now and then they do. Yeah. But there are very few. There are precious few theaters. Most of them become performing arts centers now, the ones yes. that survive. But I just got back from uh, last week from EbertFest. Oh, Ebert wow, Film yeah. Festival in Champaign-Urbana. And they have restored, beautifully restored, a 1,500-seat movie theater called the Virginia that Roger attended growing up, and so it's cool. and it so the screen is enormous, and it's just a wonderful place to watch a movie. I love it. There's a theater out here called the Vista, yeah, and uh, and the Vista has that it, out here being Los Angeles. Oh yeah, just sorry, to be yes. really crystal clear. Uh, um, and it's it's a beautiful, it's a big theater, and it's nice, and it's and they're able to, like I guess in my mind, it should have been a theater that in the 80s, someone's like, you know what, let's just divide it into two screens and the yeah, two screens would have been... Somehow, somehow it, it avoided that fate. Yeah, and it's and it's still kept up by this manager and then in front they have a little bit of like a man's Chinese theater, handprints and footprints mm-hmm. and, and it's got... The one thing I love about that theater and it is fun to go to these bigger theaters is there's room in the aisles. You can oh, walk yes. across an oh, there's aisle. there's real leg room, yeah. Yeah, where you can't like just be like climbing on someone's lap. You know, I was thinking about the Radio City Music Hall. I saw the um, the first Pierce Brosnan James Bond film premiere. That was mm-hmm. that I saw at Radio City, and I was way up in the top to see that. But that was a great experience to go to Radio City Music Hall and see a feature film. Like oh, I have so many memories about the Ziegfeld. Uh, I, I'm older than you are. I, I one of the unforgettable movie going days of my life was seeing the preview of Apocalypse Now there. Oh wow! And it was one of the first times I was ever aware of surround sound. The helicopters, yeah, yeah. And that 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 one scene seemed to be all around me. I was like, "Whoa, yeah, that's this amazing. is something else." And I saw Close Encounters there. Uh, just it was just an amazing place. And then one <laughs> one night, my wife and I, when we were living in Manhattan, we wanted to see a film. We'd heard it was terrible, but we wanted to see it. Yeah. called Honky Tonk Highway. Oh my God! You, this is one you should definitely I, I, do. I'm going to write this, this down. Yeah, directed by John Schlesinger in one of his less uh, celebrated moments. Yeah, and we went to see the 8 p.m. show on Saturday night. We called the theater to see what time it was, and it was kind of like that joke: "What time can you get here?" <laughs> you know, we went to see the eight o'clock show. Terrible movie, but but fascinatingly terrible. And then as we were leaving, and there were very few people in the theater. Yeah. We noticed that no one was showing up for the 10 p.m. show. And we asked that tree in the forest question. Yeah. Do they still have a 10 p.m. show if there are no customers? 
Do you do you start rolling the film in case somebody should show up five minutes late? Well, that's my I've 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 always gotten to the point, and I don't know about you, but where I've gotten to a theater and I've been the only person there, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna be the only person in this theater, and inevitably someone shows up, <laughs> and there is never I don't think there's ever been a theater that is empty. I think there is always someone, and I used to live down the block from this theater on 19th Street in uh, Manhattan, and I would go there during the day, like an 11 o'clock show, a 10 o'clock show in the morning. And people were there. People are always there. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think there is ever an empty theater. I don't know if I've ever seen it. Maybe they have shills. Maybe they have, you know, Just people, someone that works for like, the theater, movie like, theater company. Right, like seat fillers at the Academy Awards or something <laughs> like that. You just got to get in there. You oh, have to man. go. So I noticed that on uh, How Did This Get Made, I was looking over the, the roster of yeah. films you, you've covered. You actually did cover the film that I often cite as the worst movie I've ever seen. Uh-huh. And I don't mean the so bad they're good movies. Right, right, like, yeah. Like Plan 9 from Outer Space. And, and yeah, yeah, the ones the, that the are, fun, yeah, The yeah. fun bad movies. Stephen King's Maximum Overdrive. Oh, I am so glad you brought this up because this movie is – like to me, the definition of the types of movie that we like to talk about on the show. <laughs> so it is based on a Stephen King short story yep. that then Stephen King wrote into a film and then he directed. Yes. So you would argue that it would make some level of sense because you have very rarely in in film and transition from like literature to film, do you have all the pieces together like that? This movie makes no sense in the way that I don't understand. The idea is that like this light comes over the planet and it makes all electronics come alive, but not all electronics, just some, and namely the ones that are the most deadly. So like a woman Demon is, trucks. Demon trucks. Demon trucks come to life. But it's just not trucks. Sometimes it's a video <laughs> game machine. Sometimes it's a, it's a carving knife, an electric carving <laughs> knife. But then other times they're working at a jukebox and the jukebox is fine. So it like, but then other times there was a gun and I'm like, well, is that gun electric? It does like it, the idea of, because it was, I think the idea was machines come alive, but certain machines came alive and certain ones did not come alive. <laughs> it was no like, and trying to understand like, well, what's the logic? And then much like uh, Fear of the Walking Dead, they get on a boat at the end of the movie and I guess that's it. And it's some veiled metaphor for the Russians or something. Like, it's so bizarre and later admitted by Stephen King that he was so high on cocaine uh, during the directing of this film. <laughs> oh, I didn't film. hear that part. Oh, he has come out to say that he doesn't even remember shooting large uh, chunks of the film uh, because he was so incredibly high on cocaine. I wish I could forget it as easily as he could. <laughs> well, I remember interviews that he gave at the time where yeah. he said he was tired of of people buying the rights to his stories, right. his novellas, and his novels. And then, uh, in his mind, uh, ruining them. Yeah. In the transition to the, to the film uh, medium, so he did it himself. Had no one to blame but himself. And here's a guy who, and no offense, he's a a great writer, but it's it's a lot to be a director. And I think oftentimes it's hard to be a first time director because sure. there's certain things that you have never. And when you're dealing on that kind of a budget level and all these types of things like and stunts and, and objects, you know, there's a very famous um, accident that happened on that film because again, like he wanted to get the camera like really close to a lawnmower that was coming alive and, you know, send his cameraman down there and the, and the lawnmower ran over the cameraman and, and like he won a multi-million dollar lawsuit because oh he got, uh, you know, injured, but he was, it, it just seems 
What I love about that movie, and sometimes when we look at these movies, the recklessness of the 80s. There was an energy of the 80s. And I put uh, another movie in there in this world of, of Captain EO, mm-hmm. that Francis Ford Coppola yeah. special film that was made for Disney that I guess was produced by George Lucas. Like that, again, feels like a movie fueled by cocaine and like the 80s. It's like it, all of a sudden it's like 10-minute short for Disney. is like 10 months to shoot. And, you know, Angelica Houston's in it. Michael Jackson's in it. it it's so – just it's neon colors and just in it's insane on every level. But it was cool. Oh, I love Captain Neo. But when you look at the backstories of oh, it, well, it's, that's another story. It's yeah. just like it's like it just, <laughs> like literally like it took months to shoot. Like this should have been like a week long thing that Coppola did. You know, it just like banged it out, had fun, did a musical number. But it was like it became almost Apocalypse Now level. Mm-hmm. Like we're in and we're doing it, and they're reshooting. And uh, you know, Doug Benson, who you know from uh, movie podcasts, uh, obviously, he is in it. He's an extra yeah. as a dancer because they couldn't. They ran out of so much money they couldn't even afford dancers anymore so they just got extras and tried to shove them in the background to dance but yeah if you ever have a uh, spare a few moments on uh, online check out some of the history of captain eo because it is another fueled a crazy fueled uh, experiment you're well you you certainly do Choose well. I think you have a very oh, thank uh, you. interesting and admirable roster on how to this. We try out. to we try to find stuff that's like what you said too is not just bad. There are films that I think are boring and bad, right. and I think these are all films that uh, that warrant a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so and that's how we kind of treat it. You know, just to have a conversation about these films. Now, do you now honest engine now? Yes, there's a phrase no one uses anymore I like for it. for obvious yeah. reasons, and I shouldn't have used it now. But hey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do you ever find you can't get through the movie? You obviously have to see it or see uh, it again. Uh, 100%. No, I what I do is I do two things. One, I don't normally watch the film before we're going to talk about it on the podcast. Okay. Because I feel like uh, I have a, a, a group of people that I kind of work with behind the scenes, mm-hmm. and and they've gotten really good at helping us vet the types of movies that we want to mm-hmm. do. And I think that that way – it's hard to get through these films twice. Only a handful of films, that when they're that bad, they're so good. Like one of the movies I put in that category is The Room, mm-hmm. uh, which is a Tommy Wiseau, not the Brie Larson movie, but the Tommy Wiseau yes. film. Um, which, which someone is now making a film about. Which I am in. Oh, great. Uh, which, is, uh, which is, yeah, and it's, it, it's really a fascinating story. <laughs> uh, but the, it's very rare that they're rewatchable. So, yes, I do get through them all. Um, I know a lot of people, like we just did a film, and again, this is probably something you don't know, uh, this movie. But maybe you do, because you are you have a you have a very wide knowledge of film. Uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown? I've heard of it. Okay, yes. It's a Rowdy Roddy Piper film mm-hmm. where he's the last fertile man on earth, <laughs> and he gets uh, basically uh, a chastity belt, and he has been brought out. And I will say that the similarities between this movie and Mad Max Fury Road are shockingly similar. You would you could almost argue there could have been a lawsuit that George Miller could have gotten because those are similarities. So he has to go out in and uh, impregnate these women. But um, I was talking to one of the people who watched the film for the podcast, and they're like, "We watched it in twenty minute chunks. Twenty minutes one night, twenty minutes, 20. and you know it becomes a slog sometimes." So uh, yeah, no, but I always get through. I I can find joy and beauty in all of these things. Well, that's wonderful. Uh, a dear, dear friend of mine who's been an actor his whole life and who is uh, still uh, vital and 
wonderful guy in his early 90s. His uh -huh. name Jimmy Karen. Uh -huh. And his credits range from being in the original Broadway cast of Streetcar Named Desire oh, wow. under the direction of Ilya Kazan and being the co-star of Hercules in New York. Oh, one of my favorite bad movies that we've ever done because that – wait, is he Pretzi? No. I don't remember okay. the, the role he played. Okay. Um, he – this movie is – <laughs> Another fascinating film. I mean, they're all like that. You're picking some of my faves. If you, uh, if you don't know, Hercules in New York yes. marked the American screen debut of Arnold Schwarzenegger, whom they named in this movie for yes. advertising purposes, Arnold Strong. Arnold Strong. Because the co-star was a very familiar, at the time, mm -hmm. very familiar comedic actor named Arnold Stang. Yes. So it was Arnold Stang and Arnold Strong. And this movie, like, reeks of trauma level production values. <laughs> uh, basically, uh, you know, uh, Zeus sends his son uh, Hercules to New York because he's too cocky and to live among the common people. Mm -hmm. And But yet he goes to Earth with all of his Herculean powers. And, uh, and, and by the way, Mount Olympus is Central Park. And if you listen... Not even closely. If you just listen, you can hear horn uh, horn honks <laughs> as cars are driving by in Central Park as they were shooting Mount Olympus. Um, Schwarzenegger was originally dubbed in this film mm -hmm. by an American, and then uh, and now you can get the actual Schwarzenegger right. that we all know and love. But it he teams up with a guy, a dock worker named Pretzi, who sells pretzels, and together they become – a, a real fun team that gets into wrestling and gets involved with the mob, and and there's a chariot race down Times Square. Everything you could want in a movie. <laughs> everything. All everything. There. <laughs> All there. So you, you've made brilliant choices, I think. Oh, and then you. I do remember seeing on his first run in a theater, I remember seeing Life Force. Oh, my gosh, yes. Another – yeah, these are all some again, of my at favorites. The at the time, I mean – and uh, I'm, I'm not being – I'm trying not to be base or prurient sure. here – but uh, let's face it, when you see a movie where there is an attractive young woman naked. The entire film. The entire film. And she has beautiful breasts. Yes. And I'm a heterosexual man. Sure. I'm not immune to the, no. you know, to the charms of that. And uh, But it's like, what are they doing? This movie, Life Force, is like a vamp. You know, it kind of starts off like Alien. Like they find this freighter in space and they open it up. And then all of a sudden, this naked woman is here on the planet. <laughs> and she s literally sucks these men dry. Like, like it just sucks them to a, a raisin level. And But the entire time, naked. And, um, you know, it's so funny. I just worked with Patrick Stewart. And he's in... Life force mm -hmm. as like this deranged doctor. And it, it like, you know, it's so funny. I've had a chance to work with a lot of people who have done a lot of interesting things and Nicholas Cage being one of them and, and, and now Patrick Stewart. And I, all I wanted to do was talk about life force, <laughs> but I can't even get there. I can't, like, I can't, I know that I need to like put in some more friend time before <laughs> I can bring up life force because Look, we all have done stuff for the money. Uh, occasionally, mm -hmm. we've done things where we're just like, okay, sure, you know, or or you don't know. And that's the other thing, too. You never know how these things are going to turn out. But Pat, when I saw Patrick Stewart in there, uh, it was it was a real treat. He's he's fantastic. And, and, and most of the times, too, the actors that are really good are not bad. And I would argue, try to do better with the material that they were given. Well, of course. Of course. No, no. I, I rarely— Rarely is it the actor's fault that yes. the movie's bad. It does happen. 
but occasionally it does. But it, but I would say not, yeah. But it, that's why we never like get into the nitty gritty. It's a, it, a lot of the times it's more in the scripting. You're like, what is going on? Or what was cut out here? Because yeah. this is a logic leap that you have four people. We're all trying to figure out like. How did they get to there? And I mean, there's, when there's that many questions, it becomes a problem. It does. We're going to take a short break, and we're going to come back. And as you can see, it takes a lot of arm twisting to get Paul to talk <laughs> about movies. He's kind of bored by the subject by now, but I'm going to do my best. So hang in there. We'll be right back. What if the next time you slipped on a pair of headphones, you found yourself transported to 19th century England? May I present Mr. Malcolm? Mr. Malcolm. Somehow I will see to it that the Honorable Mr. Malcolm receives exactly what he deserves. Or to a Hasidic community in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Forgive us, our father, for we have sinned. Leave your brother alone, Jacob. But dad, he was- I said leave him alone, Yaakov. See no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, man. Or maybe you're on a helicopter with Tom Cruise. Danger cannot win, not this time. This time I make danger my bitch. God damn you, you magnificent bastard. The Blacklist is Hollywood's number one source for great unproduced screenplays, and The Blacklist Table Reads brings those screenplays to life with amazing actors and exceptional sound design. So grab a soda and a popcorn, sit back, relax, and experience The Blacklist Table Reads for yourself. Hosted by me, Franklin Leonard. Check it out on iTunes at wolfpop.com or on your favorite podcasting app. Welcome back to Malton on Movies. I am Leonard Malton. You are a movie listener, movie goer, movie fan, movie buff, we hope. Or you wouldn't be listening to this. You'd be yeah. listening to some crocheting instruction. Exactly. It feels like you would like be that. wasting your time. Yes, yes. And who wants to do that? No one. No one. Uh, but, you know, like, I, it's funny. Have you ever come across someone who doesn't like movies? I, I, I finally found one per- I, I literally one person. She's my sister-in-law. Hmm. And I said to her, I was like, she said to me one night, well, I don't like movies. And this is a person who watches a ton of TV, is very pop culture savvy, will be reading Us magazines. I'm like, what do you mean you don't like movies? She's like, it's just too much of a commitment. Mm. And I said to her, I go, well, you're watching an hour of The Real Housewives on Bravo. Like, just commit like 20 more minutes and, <laughs> and, you've, and you can pretty much get through like 90% of the feature films out there. Like, she's just like, I just don't, I don't want to, she, she feels Almost as if it's buying a house. Like, I, I don't know enough about this, and TV feels more disposable to her. But that's the only person I've ever met who's like, eh, I don't wow, like movies. Wow. Now, one of my, one of my constant spiels is that movies uh, are, are the common denominator it, it, it in is, our lives right? and our culture. I mean, because everybody from the guy who picks up your garbage to the president of the United States, yeah. past and present, uh, Everybody watches movies. Everybody. No, not, not some not as avidly as others, and some not as uh, in, in not as engaged a form as others. But everybody watches movies. And every and I, I would argue that everyone has a favorite movie. Like mm-hmm. you could ask even the least, uh, you know, the like a moviegoer who's not, you know, an active moviegoer. Like, what yeah. was your favorite movie? And they they'll have something ready to go. And it could be that that's the last movie they saw or that, you know, it just, movies hold that special spot. And that was so funny to me to to talk to someone. And, and it, again, she's my sister-in-law. I've known her for years and years. And I was like, what do you, because I, I, what do you mean? She's like, I just, I don't like them. Hmm. I thought that was the only person I've ever met. Wow. Wowie. 
Yeah. Uh, what did you major in in school? Um, I majored in education and minored in journalism. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I kind of raced through school. So I didn't really do uh, of college. And I just kind of got in and out pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I think in three years. So I didn't get a chance to really like, do, you know, I would, and now if I could have gone back, I would change everything. Like <laughs> what I'd like to study because now all I want is that time to kind of go back and be able to do critical thinking or open up, you know, like it, to me, it was like just boxes that I needed to check. Like math class, got it. Language class, got it. Go, 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 go. Just like get it. It's just like, it was like grocery shopping. Yeah. Well, I couldn't wait to get out of school either, but yeah. I also went to NYU and majored in journalism. And at the time it was a perfect choice because all the classes were taught by working journalists in New York. Yes. And so it was, it was great. You heard their war stories. They brought in guest speakers who were active in, in the field. It, it, was, it was just a great opportunity. Plus, we had a daily newspaper, and that's where I hung out and spent most of my time. See a that? A real professional newspaper. Oh, I wrote, I wrote a few articles for the NYU paper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually reviewed – I was a reviewer uh, in that time, and I reviewed – Everything that no one else wanted to review. <laughs> so uh, I was sent to review Barbed Wire, the mm-hmm. Pam Anderson film. I reviewed a Dave Chappelle like sitcom with him and Jim Brewer, and then I went to go interview Dave Chappelle at the comedy store, like you know the comedy seller. I uh, but yeah, I reviewed uh, like James and the Giant Peach. Like, I had a couple of these that that was I I was pushed to review these uh, these other movies, <laughs> but I wrote for the NYU paper. Well. Uh, it, it has a long and storied history. Yes, it does. Well, look, now I know that you work there, followed in, <laughs> in, in big footsteps. Um, the, what, did you get hooked on movies as a kid? We, I mean, again, we're talking about everybody yeah. watches movies. But when, when did you go over that line and become really a, a, a movie nut or a movie you aficionado? Know, for me, I was lucky because I grew up in two kind of, or actually three entrance interesting convergences like one which was uh star wars like right Mm -hmm. so that was very big as i was a kid so that was you know huge movies then the advent of the vcr Mm -hmm. so that became a big thing and then the advent of hbo so all three things were in my house and i also at that point too and this probably will sound crazy to some of you people out there it was also the time when movies started to become 1999. Some movies, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, 1999, you could get it at your supermarket. Home Alone, you could get it for 1999. It was such a treat. Like, I could own a movie because these movies, you go to video stores and they were like $120. That was like the sale price. That's why you had to rent them because they, you couldn't afford, you couldn't afford mm-hmm. to buy a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was in this like interesting cross-section where – I love Star Wars, and I wore out the tape of Star Wars because I had taped it off of HBO, and, and I would be taping things all the time and, and watching HBO, and, and it was just like I got in this zone of just those were the – those were, you know, Back to the Future, uh, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Those are like Home Alone. All those movies were these movies that were so big in my – worldview, you know, and they're like these, you know, they were, they were the movies that I grew up on. And, and I also feel like maybe everyone feels like that, that those are the movies, but they were, I think like this kind of the popcorn movie, the big movie, the fun Mm -hmm. movie. And it was, yeah. So it was really fun. So are they sacrosanct to you? Are you happy about the remake of Ghostbusters coming up for instance? I like, to me, what I love is a reason for a remake, like a remake for remake's sake is a tricky proposition, right? Like it's like if there's a story worth telling, 
that can be updated, I think it's fantastic, like, to do. Like, the idea that they're doing Westworld now as a TV series, I'm like, that's genius. Of course you should be doing Westworld like that, because yeah. it's a cool concept that I feel like people haven't really— it, Yeah, it's a premise that it doesn't wear out in one story. Exactly. And, and, and to me, it's like—and if you can find something interesting from, like, translating a foreign film into— you know, into an English-speaking film, and if there's a reason for it, I think those are great for remakes. And Ghostbusters in particular, I think, falls exactly in that category. I don't want to see them remake a movie where, you know, Kristen Wiig and Melissa McCarthy are in an office doing those, like, little cards and, and you know, uh, those, like, ESP cards or whatever it is, and then they fight off a ghost, uh, uh, a marshmallow man. Like, I think that would be a waste of it. Like, I don't want to see a remake of Ghostbusters. I want to see, like, oh, this is a cool idea. Like, what about ghost, like, literally Ghostbusters? Like, these, a team of people who bust ghosts. You know, like, that to me, and that's a core concept that I feel like is interesting. And unfortunately, I feel like we live in this day and age where you can't just do it without having to call it, because I think it's all this idea of, like, well, what is it? Like, that's when you look on Broadway. It's like, oh, The Bodyguard, The Musical, Lion King, The Musical. It's like, well, you just need to, you can't just do something always original. But that cast and that whole team, like, 100% on board with it. Yeah, well, good, good. That's. What about you? Where do you fall on on the... I take it on a case-by-case basis, you know? I mean, I haven't seen, I haven't revisited the original Ghostbusters in years. Oh, it's like one of my absolute favorites. So it's not not that fresh in my mind. Right. I mean, I remember it well because it was such a, you know, big deal and such an entertaining movie. But uh, I'm ready if, I mean, I I have a lot of faith in Paul Feig. Yeah. And and He very rarely turns out, I mean, you could say his track record is pretty flawless, you know? It's so, and, you know, so yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm. I think I'm ready. I hope I'm ready. You know, it's so interesting, and I, I think there's like that that underlying thing of it's you're wrecking my childhood, and, and you know, and and I think that there's a truth to that. But I also believe like, well, who cares? Just don't go see it. Like you know, <laughs> it, it, like that. Like you, no one's wrecking your childhood if you don't see it. It never existed. Like yeah. you know, for many people, like we're not all forced to see movies. And I remember one of the biggest like mental kick. Like or like a, a kick. To, I was gonna say a mental kick to the nuts, but it was to me was or feeling old was when I was getting something framed, and it was a cool silhouette of Daniel Larusso from The Karate Kid, another big movie in my growing up, uh, doing the crane move, and mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, it's a very beautiful kind of cool silhouette of it, and uh, the the guy who was framing it was like, wow, this is really cool, like what is it from? And I said, oh, it's the Karate Kid. And he goes, Jaden Smith. I love Jaden Smith. And I was like, oh, man. Like, I feel so, like, you know. And so I think you always have to, like, look. You have to look at things on two levels. Like, there are so many people that have never seen Ghostbusters and will never see Ghostbusters. Yeah. And then there's going to be a whole crop of people who are seeing this the same way that I think a lot of kids are going to, their first experience with Star Wars might be The Force Awakens. You know, Mm -hmm. just because we all have this, you know, background doesn't mean everybody else. Magnificent Seven. Yes. No one's, how many people have seen that? Exactly. Well, I just had that experience a a couple of weeks ago showing the new Jungle Book. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jungle Book to my class at USC, a class of 20-somethings. Yeah. Several hundred 20-somethings. And I asked them uh, before we screened the film, the new one, I said, how many of you have not only seen but have fond memories or a real connection yeah. to the 60s Disney animated film. And they all raised their hands. They all raised oh, their wow. hands. So they had a point of comparison yeah. as they watched the new one. Well, they really liked the new one too because I think they very cleverly, John Favreau and the screenwriter yeah. uh, and the producers, 
I think they covered their tracks really well. It's I I like the new film too. Yeah, they refer to the old one, but not overly so. Right. They acknowledge it in a couple of places. They do two key songs. They, right. They re-perform re two key songs, and. But I think there's room to like both films. I think there's room for people to enjoy both films on their own terms. It's like, what are you, and I think that's what it comes down to. Like, what are you adding to the mix? Like, if you're yeah. remaking something, there should be a reason for it. There yeah. should be, and that's why I think from an experiment point of view, it was really fascinating to watch uh, Gus Van Sant do the shot-for-shot shot remake of Psycho with Vince Vaughn as yeah, the, the, uh, the... Yeah, the sort of shot-by-shot. Shot. Yeah, right, it's not 100... Except for the stuff they changed. What not that it? I'm touchy uh, on this subject, Paul. <laughs> not at all. You know what the only... Except for the masturbation scene, oh, Paul. Oh, right. Except for Julianne Moore coming in from having jogged with her earbuds in. Uh, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, that shot-for-shot shot remake, Paul. It's so funny. Yeah, I, I, get, so, I get so ticked off about I, You know, I did a thing. <laughs> uh, it's so funny. I forgot about those little touches there because you just assume. And, I, and that's a movie that I watched once and never would really want to revisit. But I did a, a thing with Adam Scott and there are, are the premise of the, the the idea was remaking TV um, openings of TV shows shot for shot. So they did the <laughs> opening of Heart to Heart shot for shot. So not only did they do that, but they did a, a fake documentary look <laughs> at how hard it was. And we were joking around. And I said, you know, it would be great is if we got Gus Van Sant to talk about the challenges of of doing that and what and 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 the director Lance Bangs was like. I, he lives up where I live. I, I could ask him. And we got Gus Van Sant to come in as himself to talk about, like, that's crazy. What they're doing is crazy. What I did for Psycho, that that was that was much more attainable. This is insane. Like, you know, it's like <laughs> he did have a sense of humor about about that. But that to me seemed like a um like a film school project. And I and yeah. I feel like the idea of then there's the other version of like, well, I'm gonna remake this, but I'm just gonna do the same movie. And I think that, well, then just watch the same movie because it's going to be better. Yeah. But what you're describing in The Jungle Book or what we're talking about with, you know, sight unseen about Ghostbusters, it's like, no, no, they're saying, here's a concept. How can we change it? How can we make it different? How can we like, and I'm, I'm for right now, I'm blanking on remakes and I know there's a zillion of them. Oh, yeah. but, but like, I think that to me is when things get really interesting. Like just taking something and just, you know, I, I think that, you know, uh, J.J. Abrams did a great job, and and sort of Ryan Cogler did the same thing of doing kind of a remake, but kind of a reboot at the same time. Like yeah. there are many similarities to Star Wars and The Force Awakens. There are many similarities to Creed and Rocky, but yet they're enough different that you're like oh, they're no, their no, own no, no, movies. No, very, yeah, very very canny and very clever, and I think sincere. Yes, a hundred percent, absolutely, and that's what sells them to me. Creed was said, one of my favorite. I was yeah. like, "This is this is how I want to feel at a Rocky movie." Yeah, it felt great, yeah, exactly. And it came from it came from that space in him, or that place in his life, because he talked about how he he and his dad bonded over yeah. watching the original Rocky movies. It's like, well, you can tell that he feels that way. It comes through in the film, and that was a cool th example of. What again, like you're bringing something so different to the mix because mm -hmm. the idea of like an underdog boxer who is kind of not, you know, is, and yeah, the underdog coming up was like that perspective, that world, that new Philadelphia. It was a, it was a whole new landscape without feel like if you put, again, if it was a white boxer in that movie, I don't think it would have been as interesting. I don't mm -hmm. think it like you got to explore culture. You got to explore 
a different point of view, but yet it felt so a part of that franchise. Yeah. It, it did something that I feel like they've had a hard time doing again in Rocky for a yes. long time. Which Sylvester Stallone essentially admitted yeah. when, when Ryan Coogler first pitched the idea to him. Yeah. So he said, no, I'm over that. It's, it's, yeah. it's done. It's over. And then he came up with this, this idea, and it worked. So yeah. you know, bully for him. All right, we're going to take another quick pause, and then I'm going to ask Paul, well, we're going to talk about yeah. this, some films, not so recent films, yes. that he likes and I like that we're going to recommend. Okay. And uh, I think if you take our recommendations, you'll thank us. I hope so. And, uh, and if not, we don't want to hear from you. <laughs> but we'll give you a second to think about that. We'll be right back. Today's show is sponsored by Howl FM. It's like Netflix for podcasts. With Howl Premium, you'll get exclusive access to dozens of original Howl miniseries, like The Mysterious Secrets of Uncle Bertie's Botanarium, a richly sound-designed adventure comedy starring Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords. Access it all on your iPhone, your Android phone, or on the web for only $4.99 a month. And if you use the promo code MALTON at checkout, you'll get a full month for free. That's M-A-L-T-I-N, and you'll get a full month free of charge. Check it out, howl.fm. Welcome back to Malton on Movies. I'm Leonard Malton. My guest today is Paul Shear, the multi-talented, multifaceted, multi-hyphenated mm. person. You know, one experience I don't think you've had, how, how old is your, your uh, son? He's two. Well, then this awaits you. Yeah. You mentioned Karate Kid a few minutes yeah. ago. When my daughter was five, six, seven, eight, between five and 10, let's yeah. say. We used to go to a lot of Saturday morning screenings. They had press screenings and media oh, yeah. screenings. And I would take her to all the family films that they were showing. And I remember one was The Karate Kid 3. Oh, Hilary Swank, right? Yeah. Now, no one's too crazy about that movie. No. And with good cause. But when my daughter saw it with me, I saw it through her eyes. And this was a fascinating experience. Because while the storytelling for an adult right. was, you know, time-worn, shop-worn, cliched yeah. and all that, it had a good moral, a good lesson for-, for And for a female a, lead in an exactly, action movie. Very exactly. A, a, a rare female lead. This is yeah. some time ago. Because uh, she's 29 now. Right. <laughs> and, uh, but, so I took something away from that film I wouldn't have taken away had I not been seeing it with my young daughter. I, I can unequivocally say I brought my goddaughter to see Force Awakens, and it mm -hmm. when she's uh, seven. Mm -hmm. And watching her watch that movie was, I enjoyed that movie also as as an adult who loves Star Wars. But watching her watch that movie was unbelievable, and talking to her afterwards and what she liked and what she didn't like, and mm -hmm. who she thought was cool, like you know, it was oh that was. It was better than the actual movie. I think I want to see more kid reviews of films, like like because I think there's a joy and uh, one of the things that my stepsister did for me, and I love this idea because this is I would come home from a movie and I was so excited about the movie that she would say, "Okay, sit down with me," and she would take notes and I would tell her everything I could remember from the movie, and she would write it out longhand, and then it would be on a piece of loose-leaf paper, and I would then, when I wanted to think about the movie, I could go back and read oh, how wonderful. my thoughts from the movie because it was just like I wanted to experience it. And, you you, you know, as a kid, you, you don't have access to just go to a movie whenever you want. So it was I have, like, all these sheets of paper that are – 
you know, my remembrances of what happened and slightly skewed because it's also my remembrance of it. Not exactly, you know, and it's one time and and everything like that. Oh, but that's great. Yeah, it was the best thing. What a wonderful resource and 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 what a wonderful... I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It's just a. It was a cool memory to be like, able to to have, and like I. And, you have your own time capsule there. And you know what they used to have? And again, I'm dating myself a million times here. But uh, when I used to, when I was a kid, for the kid movies, you could go get like popcorn soda and like a commemorative book, mm-hmm. like you know, so it was like five bucks, and it was basically just stills of the movie, mm-hmm. and you know, like a little. Very, like, I'm sure they hired some guy to, like, type up a couple things about it. And, <laughs> and they've been basically the last three pages were just, um, like, the cat, you know, the the, the scroll, the uh, the credits. So I had all those, and inside every one of those was my loose-leaf paper so I could go back and revisit the movie. Wonderful. Wonderful. So I, I wish I had that. Yeah, right. I mean, I took little notes, but not not a, what you're describing. Well, again, someone did it for me, so that was the, the, <laughs> the whole reason why it even happened. Uh when I uh, invited Paul on the show, when we were talking about what you know, what we might discuss yeah. more specifically, I asked him for some films, some sort of unsung or uh, underrated films, or films that he would like to recommend. And there were a couple that sort of just rang the gong for me because Great. they're from the classic Hollywood era. Yeah. And we don't get to, to to visit there as often as I'd like. Yeah, uh, with somebody contemporary who has a different point of view, perhaps than I do. Yeah, and one of them is The Thin Man. Thin Man is one of my all-time favorites. You know, it's uh, and I, and forgive me because I'm sometimes bad with names, but it's uh, Myrna Loy and William, William Powell. Powell, right? And they are a husband and wife detective team, drunks Nick, Nick uh, and Nora Charles, and they've spawned a bunch of sequels. But I think the Thin Man is it's just perfect in every way. It's a fun movie. It's funny. It's got a great suspense and a great story. But it's it's. It's a you know I guess you know the premise essentially is that the uh, that William Powell is a, a famous detective who's now retired and he's just been married to this kind of flighty socialite and and now they're going to go live their the next chapter of their lives but with, she, with their with their wire haired terrier Asta yes Asta the dog and and uh, and then she kind of suckers him into getting involved in this bigger murder mystery and oh I loved it I love that movie and you know talking about remakes. Johnny Depp has circled that movie for quite some time. Has he really? And uh, and I've been interesting. That movie to me, I feel like, and this is, it feels like you can't remake it because it, it, there's something about that era. There's something about like there was something like kind of classy about being a drunk in that time too, or like or just drinking and and living in that kind of posh yes. lifestyle that I don't think would be as fun now. I keep on thinking about yeah yeah with the distance of time yeah yeah it's a very Art Deco movie yes. Uh, their apartment is uh, to die for. Amazing. Their wet bar, uh, yeah. a- astonishing and well used. Yes, very well used. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a very lubricated <laughs> movie in terms of liquor. Yeah. And people point that out all the time because it is just so astonishing. It, it really it, and, and But I think that that like, sense of fun mm-hmm. is so pervasive in it. Like, it, it feels yeah. like. It just. You know, I, I'm a, I've been a big fan. Uh, an ex girlfriend of mine got me in to these films. And, you know, I think the one movie that I always talk about that no one has ever seen is Ball of Fire. Oh, uh, it's a great movie. Great movie. And, it, and, and that one is another kind of these, like, there are the, like, I think my opinion, and speaking of somebody, you know, probably younger than most who talk about these films, I think there's, a, there's an idea like, oh, these movies are going to be boring and they're not going to have, like, a, a life or a spark to them, you know? And, and these movies just 
you know, uh, like everything. You know, you can't judge a book by its cover. They're just so full of life and fun yep. and 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 so enjoyable. But Thin Man uh, and the Thin Man, it's 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 it moves at a rapid pace. Yeah. And Great dialogue. It's a short movie. It's snappy dialogue. And it's based on a book by Dashiell Hammett, the yes. man who gave us the Maltese Falcon and much other classic crime literature. But this is very lighthearted and uh, and just, just terrific. And they did make – they wound up making a series of Thin Man yes. movies, all of which are fun because William Powell and Myrna Loy have such great chemistry. But the the, the first sequel – called Another Thin Man, is also really, really good. That's the one. That, there's one that's really good, and I think that's the one, right? That's yeah, the that's one that's the best yeah. one. Yeah. So so check them out because they're available. You can get them any number of places. And I, it may even be available on Watch TCM on their app. They now oh, have great. films that you can link through there. Oh, that's great. But online and on video, they're there. The yeah, I highly recommend that film. And uh, they're really, yeah, it's a fun mystery, comedy. Yeah. And, and again, of an era that I think is kind and of. And trivia, no, trivia point. Uh, this is the kind of thing that uh, comes up in trivia games of yeah. a certain era that cover a certain period. William Powell, the star of this movie, is not the title character. That's all we're going to say. Right. Oh, he yeah, is you're right, not you're right, yeah. the thin man. Very and, true. And enough said. Right. Enough said. You'll learn the rest yourself. Now, another name you brought up, mm-hmm. which is a hallowed and revered name to many, many people, is Preston Sturgis. I am a huge Preston Sturges fan, and that is I found Preston Sturges through, I believe, the Angelica Film Center mm-hmm. in New York City. They were doing a Preston Sturges festival, and I'd always heard that name, and uh, and I and I think I when I first saw it, I saw Hail the Conquering Hero, mm-hmm. Lady Eve, uh, oh, and I'm sure there's a couple other I'm forgetting, but those are my two kind of entry points into into him and fantastic films. I mean, the, he, another one that is very funny. And, you know, I think Judd Apatow has been compared to him in, in the way that he uses the same stable of actors mm-hmm. and, and kind of recycles them through movies. And Hail the Conquering Hero is has an interesting connection to the Coen brothers because the Coen brothers did a film called Oh Brother, Where Art Thou?, which is the movie – that the lead character in Helicon—oh, no, no, sorry, not Helicon. This is—I uh, got confused. It was um, Helicon Conquering Hero is different than that. Helicon Conquering Hero is about the guy who comes home, right. who changes his story. What's the one? Oh, brother, where art thou? Is uh, what's that one where it's he goes on the road to? He wants to make. Oh, that's Sullivan's Travels. Sullivan's Travels. That's the that. So those are the three that I'm most familiar with. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, sorry. Sullivan's Travels is the connection to the Coen yes, Brothers movie. Yes. yes. So. He is the lead character is making a he wants to make a movie about the American experience called yes. Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Yes. And uh Sullivan's Travels is what would you like of those three, uh, Hell Conquering Heroes, Sullivan's Travels, and Lady Eve. Pick your favorite child. It's uh Yeah. Just just to backtrack a little Yeah, sorry. Preston Sturges was a very successful playwright and then screenwriter who worked on lots and lots of good movies through the nineteen thirties and then got frustrated as other writers did that he felt that the directors who were assigned his scripts weren't really getting the most out of them. Right. And so as a defensive measure, he sold Paramount. He was under contract to Paramount. He sold them a screenplay for $1, the story goes, uh-huh. if they would let him direct it. And that was a film called The Great McGinty, a political satire. Oh, right. Okay, yeah. And when it turned out okay, they said, well, all right, you want to direct more, you can direct more. And that's when he made Christmas in July and Sullivan's Travels and The Lady Eve and the Palm Beach story 
and Hail the Conquering Hero and uh, The Miracle of Morgan's Creek, he had this unbelievable burst of creativity, an uh, astonishing output over four or five years' time, and then flamed out. So the story of Preston Sturges mm-hmm. is kind of fascinating too. I didn't, didn't flame out completely, that. but he he had a, 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 a he never again reached that pinnacle. Interesting. And uh, but you got to see these movies. They're, they're so, so fun. good. They're first off, they're hilarious. Yeah, they're just hilarious. And but they also have uh, meat. There's something to chew on in these movies. Well, I kind of feel like. Do you believe that there's a little bit of a connection between like uh, between him and then Billy Wilder to a certain well, degree? Well, Billy Wilder followed in Sturge's footsteps like yeah. within a year because he was also under contract to Paramount, had also been frustrated with the way his films were being realized from his screenplays, yeah. uh, the ones he wrote with Charles Brackett, and so he did the same thing, and Paramount gave him a shot to direct. Uh, a film called The Major and the Minor with Ginger Rogers and Ray Milland. And when it turned out okay, they said, all right, you can direct more. And that launched his career. It, it's so interesting. And I feel like they have they share a similar, you know, they, they're just, they're fun movies. They're, you know, they're on, they're, the ensemble is so strong in yes. those films. And, and uh, yeah, I am, Preston Sturges is somebody that I feel like as you get further and further away or as I've grown up, uh, people don't know. I, I feel like I get more blank stares on that one yeah. more than not. Well, but he's he's so worthy of, of yeah, that's discovering, enjoying, savoring. This is not medicine. We're not telling you to take medicine for your No, movie. these this are is, fun. This is the thing. Like this, These are the movies that brought me into a, a wider appreciation of, you know, of these films of the 50s and the 40s. And, you know, because – you know, I don't like. I'll tell you this much: that as a child, like my dad would watch The African Queen or something like that, mm-hmm. and it seems so boring to me. And I and I haven't revisited The African Queen, but that was not up my like. That was mm-hmm. not a movie for me as a child. It was not a movie that I was you know and I, you know and then and so I think I immediately was turned off to that kind of stuff. And then I went back, kind of got in it through you know these guys, you know the Thin Man and, and Preston Sturges and and Billy Wilder, although he's a little bit later, but then kind of went back and found like the treasure of Sierra Madre, which I think is a, a great film. And there's so many great films, but it's sort of like, I think sometimes black and white has a, an era yeah, yeah, stodginess to it or something. I know like that. a lot of people are, are, you know, will, would rather have root canal than watch black and white. Yeah. Uh, but you know, if it's good, it's going to hook you. It really does. People will say to me, oh, I don't watch black and white. I say, have you ever seen the three stooges? They say, yeah. So then you've watched black and white. Yeah. Have you watched I Love Lucy? Oh, sure. Well, then you've watched black and white. It's not black and white that's putting you off. Yeah. It's something else. It, yeah, it really is. Um, it And, uh, you know, I did a reading at LACMA of um, – you'll remember the title. I, this is where I'm bad at stuff. It was – it was – I believe it was – it's Cary Grant and uh, – Oh, man. Who do you start with all the time? I'm going to give you like three things to guess. <laughs> um, he was like a famous pairing of the two of them. Captain uh, Kevin Hepburn. Hepburn. Yeah. And it was a movie where there are uh, a bunch of reporters waiting. Like, was it like the front page or something like that where they were oh, waiting? Oh, his, like, his Girl Friday? His Girl Friday. Oh, it's Cary yes. Grant and Rosalind Russell. Okay, sorry. Okay, Ros- His Girl yes. Friday is one of the great comedies based on the front page, the, the famous play, the front page. It was – that is another great one. And we did a live read. I, I was a fan of that one, but we did a live read of that. Wow. And that script was 140-something pages, but when – we read it on stage, Jason Bateman playing the Cary Grant part and Anne Hathaway playing the mm-hmm. uh, Rosalind Russell part. Uh, it flew. It flew quicker than any other live read I've ever done there. It just 
clocked. That dialogue was so blah, 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 blah. It's like, you know, and, and for more contemporary reference, it's like an episode of the Gilmore Girls in the sense that it's oh, like, yes. blah, 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 you know. And the fun. Gilmore Girls very consciously pattern themselves after Sturge's oh, really? delivery. Oh, yeah. And Howard Hawks, the director of His yeah. Girl Friday, was one of the first people to encourage his actors to talk over each other. It, that it wasn't g- done then. It gives it a real, real life to the film. Yeah. Oh, big fan. Man. Well, you're naming great stuff here. And uh, so, folks, if you haven't taken notes, go back, listen again. <laughs> but we're, we've just recommended a whole slew a of bunch really of good movies. movies. Yeah. And, uh, and as I say, you know, I don't see any contradiction or any kind of mutual exclusivity in saying that you like Quentin Tarantino and you like Howard Hawks. Well, I you think know. Quentin Tarantino would say he likes Howard Hawks. Like, yes, you know, he does. Like, and, and, and was influenced by these people. Yeah. Like, you know, I think that that's the one thing that you forget. Like, all these great directors that you love were influenced. Like, yep. no one's created in a vacuum, especially the best directors. They, yeah. they, they are stealing from everybody. Exactly. And everyone stands on shoulders of people who come before and who've really influenced them, yeah. whether directly or just by osmosis in some way. And, uh, well, you know, it's, yeah, and I think, you know, when you are in this field, like, you are – you look to things for research and you go back and go, yeah. oh, well, what's that? And what's that? And, you know, and then you find things. It, it's fascinating. Now, as a, as a comedy performer and yeah. creator, who do you think is in your DNA? Who do you think has seeped into your mind and your consciousness? Well, you know, all those people, I think, that we just talked about, they definitely have a, a spot there. I would think the more – the contemporary people, the people that I really, really – like that made me laugh um, – you know, was Steve Martin the jerk was like something that was a very you know, and the com and the comedy side, huge. Bill Murray movies are giant for me. You know, um, I also felt like I was just uh, in the end of high school when Quentin Tarantino was hitting, and so that was like whoa, you know. So that was huge, you know. And so, oh, but Quentin, Tar- you know, so Quentin Tarantino combined like. My two loves, I'm a big, like, action movie guy, too. So I, like, you know, and, and you know, whereas, like, Die Hard kind of, you know, is a big movie for me. Also, you know, then the scene, like, Quentin Tarantino, like, make it funny and it's action and it's crazy. And I never saw anything like that. So, um, yeah, I'm trying to think of other, uh, you know, other big, you know, I think I, I definitely was influenced as a kid and up until college by all those, like, kind of, Post SNL writer directors, not the not so much like Night at the Roxbury super superstar, but more the Animal House, the Blues Brothers, the the Jerk, uh, Ghostbusters, like you know Meatballs, like all that kind of that era was the the era that I kind of and Eddie Murphy, Eddie Murphy, mm-hmm. huge, 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 huge to me. So yeah, he was a giant, uh, giant like John Candy, all those people. Yeah, that, yeah like well, that was my time. Uncle well, Buck, the, yeah. Yeah, well, the, the, those are all, those oh, had a big impact. And I'll say one more, and sorry, because now I think John Hughes. I think John Hughes mm-hmm. is somebody that I think defines so much for me, and, and, and I think he, like— You and, and so many others. Yeah. I mean, I don't think there's any other filmmaker of that era who is still so contemporary and seen as so fresh yeah. by today's ki- uh, kids and teenagers. I did a movie with Harold Ramis, which was one of the— biggest treats of my life because huge Harold Ramis fan. And I loved him so much and uh, got to hang out with him a lot. And he was one for stories, but his assistant was John Hughes's, well, not his assistant, his producing partner was John Hughes's old assistant. And oh I was like, God. and I was trying to get stories. And she said, you know, he just got so disillusioned after Curly mm-hmm. Sue, like, and she said, but 
he would write and he would write. And she said in his office, above the bookcase, around the room were just scripts. And there were all these scripts that he wrote because he continued to write all the time and just never made them. Wow. And I love that image of that was his passion. He got turned off by the business or whatever, mm-hmm. and he continued to write. She said she would she would fax pages and get all this stuff and full, just full of these scripts. So that I thought that was a, just a cool image of this guy who I think – defined an era and and created films that are long lasting but just to know that he still had them and probably no one will ever see those movies but it's so cool that they exist wow what a great story yeah. what a great what a great thing to think about well the, then i i i won't be unhappy for him because he he got it out of his he right. got, he he got to express stop. himself he got yeah. to do it yeah and his movies really range i mean to think about like the differences between like home alone and planes trains and automobiles and breakfast club like mm-hmm. those three films just alone i mean you know and he's done a lot more but just the themes of those movies are so drastically different mm-hmm. and yet so relatable yeah 100% planes so trains people. and automobiles one of my favorites wow well Gee, thank you, Paul. Thanks for coming by. Thank you for having me. And uh, maybe I can grab you again sometime. I would love it. Because I have a feeling we could talk about more movies. I would love to talk about some movies. <laughs> <laughs> In the meantime, where can people find you? Uh, they can find me on all that social media stuff at Paul Shear, and I'm paulshear.com. It's easy. You could just Google it. It's not yeah, even that hard. You want to listen and see and listen to all Paul is doing. Yeah. And as for me, you can find me at uh, on Twitter at Leonard Malton and on my uh, wonderful website, I can't say it's a wonderful website. It's That's a wonderful a crude, website. It's a crude thing to no, say. No, I'm Self-aggrandizing. Uh, <laughs> I'll say, it's, you have a wonderful website, Leonard. What, what is it called again? Oh, funny you should ask. It's it's leonardmalton.com. Well, there you go. And people can go there. Thank you for coming here and listening to us today. We will uh, see you pleasure. again next week. Definitely. Bye-bye. From the right, I'm Mark Hard. And from the left, I'm Pete Hard. And we're the hosts of Hard Nation. We're covering all the biggest stories this election season on Earwolf while talking to your very favorite politicians like Ted Cruz. May I have a little more his time? Face, is it my turn to his talk? Face is getting Do I get very a chance to talk to my now? face? Hillary Clinton. To little girls out there who are trying to do things, just do it. You'll fail and a man will do it for you. Donald Trump! If I became president, I would bronze every immigrant child and I would attach them to naval ships. Listen to Hard Nation Today, America, on Earwolf, Howl, iTunes, or your favorite podcast app. Get hard! This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com. Earwolf.com